Well, good afternoon, Vail Church. And it is so good to be back with you. Some of you may not even remember, but I've, I've spoken here before. Uh, you did my book, Creatures of Habit. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, gosh. Thank you. But I don't know how long ago that was. That was a couple years ago, but um, I've since retired. And so I've been speaking around the country quite a bit since that time. I pastored, for those of you that don't know, I pastored at Northview Church uh, in the Carmel, Indianapolis area, which was one church in 15 different locations. And God just continues to bless that congregation and church. But uh, we retired at, at actually the first of the year, and we're having the time of our lives just speaking at different churches. And so I get the privilege to be able to be with you for the next three weeks to do this series on True North. And I'm excited, of course, uh, good friends with your former pastor, Ted Max, and I'm so excited for he and Amy and what God has for him in his next chapter. But let me tell you something, guys. God never shuts the door without opening another one. And none of this caught God by surprise. He knew exactly what he was doing. And so I'm so excited. Uh, I just met your new pastor, Sean, uh, out in the atrium, and I'm so excited about what lies ahead for you all here at Vail Church. Seriously, we're gonna, Sandy and I are gonna get the opportunity to spend some time with them next Saturday night and to get to know them just a little bit more. But I really believe that God only has great things ahead in this next chapter for your church. Well, I want to jump into the series, but I first wanted to reintroduce you to my wife, Sandy. She was with me last time, but I wanted you to... She always, she always lifts the... Yeah. Anyway, you look good. Turn to somebody and say, you know, you look pretty good. Okay, that's enough. I hope that was your spouse. Well, let me pray, and I'm going to jump right into this. Father, I just thank and praise you for your faithfulness. You're an amazing God. And Lord, what an incredible opportunity it is to, to be able to be back in this, in this church, Vail Church. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you're using this congregation. And I pray, dear God, that there's only greater days that lie ahead. I pray that your continued favor and blessings would be upon them and that you'd give them opportunities they never even dreamed possible. Thanks, Lord, for their new pastor, Sean. I'm just praying that your blessings and favor would be upon him and that you'll just uh, be with him as he ramps things up and uh, moves his family and just starts this new chapter of his life. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, now that as we get into your word, that you'd open up our eyes and ears to see and hear all that you wanna do in our life. Thanks, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. So guys, as we said, we're gonna start a new series over the next three weeks that's called True North. So what, what do I mean by True North? When we talk about True North, what does it mean? Well, it's the direction that points directly towards the North Pole. It's also called the geodetic north, which is a fixed point on the Earth's globe. You can see that. It's a fixed point. We all know that, the North Pole. So how do we find true north. Well, I think some of you would quickly say, well, Steve, you need a compass. So I brought a compass. And if we were looking for true north on this compass, I believe it is, true north is right there. So if all of you got behind me, lined up behind me, and we walked straight 
according to this compass. My question to you is we, would we end up at the North Pole? How many of you believe that we would? Some of you say, this is a trick question. I know it is. <laughs> How many of you say, no, I don't think we would? How many of you say, I really don't care? <laughs> okay, most of you. Okay. Well, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. So what you have to understand is that some of you I know are saying, what, that doesn't even make any sense. If a compass is telling us that we, we would lead, we're leading it north, then how would we not end up at the North Pole? You see, while true north is a fixed point on the globe, magnetic north is the direction that a compass needle points as it aligns with the Earth's magnetic field. And what's interesting to me anyway is that the magnetic North Pole is not a fixed point. It's always shifting in response to the changes in the Earth's magnetic core. So magnetic north almost never, listen, it almost never aligns with true north. And the difference depends on where you find yourself standing on the Earth. For instance, if you're in Los Angeles, Los Angeles following magnetic north, you would miss true north by 12 degrees. If you were standing in New Zealand, and you followed magnetic north, you would miss true north by 20 degrees. You see, almost all compasses, I think you know this, but almost all compasses use a magnet. So they're gonna direct us towards magnetic north, not true north. Let me show you another example of what I'm talking about. Your iPhone, as you probably know, also has a compass on it. So if you took two iPhones, let's say, and you held them side by side, but one of those iPhones, you opened up and you went to the settings on your phone. We'll show you up here. You went to settings and then you go down to compass. This is the screen that'll come up on your iPhone. So if you take one of your iPhones, if you have two of them, you take one of them, they're set on uh, whatever it's set on, do the opposite. So one of them will be on magnetic, the other one turn on true north. And then if you hold those two phones side by side, they will not point in the same direction. I've tried it. They will not point in the same direction. You will see they will point in just a, bit, just a little bit different direction. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Man, this guy's smart. <laughs> okay, that's, that's probably not what you're thinking. What you're probably thinking is, Steve, who cares? Who cares? I mean, what in the world does all of this have to do with Scripture? Listen, when you think about where your life is headed today, there is a parallel between what we're talking about here with true north and magnetic north. When you think about where your life is headed today, I think all of us might agree that we live in a culture today where everyone's compass is pointed in different directions. It's like, isn't that true? I mean, when you think about your friends, when you think about your own family, everybody has different ideals. Everybody has different ideas. Everybody has different worldviews. They have different philosophies. They have different values. It seems like everybody's on a different page. And if you follow magnetic, if you follow the magnetic pull of our culture, please hear me on this, guys. If you follow the magnetic pull of our culture, you will never, you will never end up at true north. So my hope is that before we finish with this series, only three weeks, my hope is that you'll find true north. You say, yeah, but Steve, come on. I think you're being a little uh, overdramatic. 
you know, if we're going in the same direction, what difference does it make if we're just a, a few degrees off? What difference is it going to make? Listen, friends, it matters more than you might think. For instance, if you are in an airplane and you're only one degree off, no big deal, right? You're only one degree off. Well, if you travel for an hour in that plane at one degree off, you'll see uh, you're one mile off. If you go for two hours, now you're two miles off. If you go for three hours, now you're three miles off. You see how it escalates. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it just continues to grow. So you get the point. What if you're headed to the moon? And you say, well, I'm only one degree off. I mean, come on, how in the world are we gonna get that spaceship to stay completely on course? It's gonna be off, isn't it? If you were only one degree off headed to the moon, by the time you arrived on the moon, you'd be 4,160 miles off course. Needless to say, you would completely miss the moon. In other words, guys, listen. In other words, guys, you would, you would find yourself at a destination you never intended to be. Now, for some of you, you were once headed true north. You were once headed to Jesus. Your focus was on him. But something along the way, I don't know, something along your path has caused you to get a little bit off course. Maybe it was politics. Maybe you once had a biblical worldview, but, but now you have kind of leaned more to a political worldview. Maybe it was racial issues. I don't know, maybe the whole pandemic, the whole COVID thing kind of got you off course. Maybe it was money worries. Maybe, it, maybe you've struggled a bit with your finances. Maybe it was relationship problems. Or maybe it was just an old habit that's kind of creeped back in your life. Guys, whatever it might have been, my encouragement is this. Jesus is the only way you will ever find true north. Please hear this. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what you believe. I'll promise you, Jesus is the only way you will ever find true north. That is true for every person on this planet because it's not about us. When you understand the purpose of life, it's not about us. It's all about him. And so you say, well, Steve, what's the question? It doesn't matter. He's the answer. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're going through. In fact, Jesus clearly defined that for us in 1 John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the way to true north. I am the way to God. I am the truth. I don't just talk about truth or tell the truth. I am the very definition of what truth is. And I am the life, abundant life now and eternal life with God for all eternity. Now, in the book of John, we have seven I am statements that Jesus used to identify himself by. You would not think that's necessary, but it, it is. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, if, if I surveyed this room or even we went beyond and we surveyed the community and said, how many of you believe in Jesus? A big percentage of the people would. If I asked everybody in this room, probably 99.9% .9 of you would say, yes, I, I believe Jesus. But if I asked you to describe him to me or talk to me about who he is, it might be completely different all around this room. 
And so it's very, very important that we're able to identify who is Jesus. There's a lot of confusion about that, and we need to be able to identify. And yet Jesus is extremely clear in Scripture on who he is. In fact, you find it in John. Look at this here. He gives us seven I am statements. This is who he is. He said, this is, this is me. This is my character. This is my nature. This is what I'm all about. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now, we're going to look at three of these over the next few weeks. We're going to look at I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd, and I am the true vine. Again, guys, I hope you'll be here for this because I really do think that it'll, it'll be an eye-opener in some areas. Friends, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or if you're just now considering the claims of Christ. I think it's important, please hear me, I think it's important that every one of us are able to answer this question. Please listen, this is a big deal. Who is Jesus and what are you gonna do with him? Who is Jesus and what are you gonna do with him? Because here's the thing, friends. One day, every one of us are gonna stand before God and we're gonna have to answer that question. So it's better you know, the, know your, what your answer will be before you get there. Who is Jesus and what are you gonna do with him? Now, I wanna to start today with what I believe to be the most definitive and powerful statement Jesus ever made about himself. I think this is the, out of all three of them, this is the most important, this is huge. In John chapter 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Guys, why do you think COVID, why do you think the pandemic so paralyzed our world? I mean, I mean, my gosh, everything came to a halt. Businesses closed, churches closed. I mean, everything came to a halt. What, what is it that we were afraid of? I don't think it's because we were afraid to get sick. I mean, all of us get sick at times. We have a cold, we have the flu, whatever, we've been sick. No, I think, it's, I think it was the fear that someone I love or that someone that I care about or maybe even myself could die from this virus, from COVID. You see, guys, the fear of death, or let me say it differently, the desire to live is the strongest human emotion we have. Out of all the human emotions that instinctively that we have, the desire to live is absolutely the strongest. Now, uh, there are many of us, if I said, how many of you are not afraid to die? Many of you would raise your hands. I would raise my hands. And I'm not afraid of death. I'm just a little bit concerned about the trip there. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the unknown piece to all of us. That's the one that bothers us the most. Woody Allen once said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I've often said, I'm not afraid of death. I'm just not ready to get on the bus. Listen, we can exercise and we can eat right. We can live right. We can refuse to take any kinds of risk. But as Bernard Shaw once said, he said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. It's true, isn't it? There's going to be a day, guys, hear me. There's going to be a day when your body is going to slump and you're going to take that last breath and immediately, the, the scripture tells us immediately you will be in the presence of the Lord. 
I want you to listen to what Jesus says right after a close friend of his died. We see it, and you know the story, I'm sure. In John chapter 11, verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. We don't know what was wrong with Lazarus. We just know he was terribly sick. It was serious enough that his two sisters thought he's not going to make it. He's going to die. Jesus had become very close friends to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so they knew we better reach out to Jesus. We better do something because his time on earth is very short. So they reach out to Jesus. They call on him for help. Look at it in verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So again, they are very close with Jesus. They don't have to identify who it is. Jesus automatically knows who they're talking about, okay? This was someone he loved and he cared about. So he immediately knew who they meant. He immediately knew who they were talking about. So do you know what Jesus did when he heard about this? The minute Jesus hears about it, do you know what his response is? Do you know what he did? Nothing. He did nothing. I don't know, I don't know about you, but that is a passage that always seemed odd to me. It's just like, what? You're so close to them and you find out that your close friend Lazarus is near death and you don't respond, you don't go? Why, why didn't you just stop what you're doing and immediately go to him? Guys, have you ever felt like your prayers were going unanswered? Have you ever felt like you cried out to God in desperation and you knew this was extremely important and something had to happen now and you're crying out for Jesus for help and nothing happens? It feels as if the ceiling is brass. It feels like your prayers are, are going up to the ceiling and bouncing back down. You see, guys, the story shows us that God's delays, this story is so good because it shows us that God's delays are not because he's ignoring you and not because he doesn't care about you. He just has a greater purpose. And I know that's hard to wrap our brain around, but stay with me. He just has a greater purpose that we might not be able to see, that we might not be able to understand. And he wants us to trust him. Listen, He's always at work in the upper story. Have you, have you heard that terminology, the upper story and the lower story? The upper story and the lower story. I use that terminology all the time uh, at Northview. And what it basically means is the upper story is the invisible realm. That's where the Holy Spirit is at work. So whatever's happening, the, the scripture talks about it. Whatever's happening in the upper story is the invisible realm. That's where the Holy Spirit is at work. And it's not limited by time or space. So time is not an issue. Space is not an issue. He's everywhere all the time, right? We can't wrap our brains around it, but that's a fact. The lower story is the um, visible realm. That's where you and I exist. That's where we are right now. And it is limited by time or space. Meaning what? Meaning that I know there's something going on on the other side of that wall, but I have no idea because I'm limited to what I can see in this room. I'm limited by time or space. I'm limited by the by my watch, by my time. So what we have to understand and trust, that's where faith comes in, is that we have to trust that God is always at work in areas that we can't see, that we don't understand, but we know he has our back. We know he has a purpose. We know he has a plan. We know that he loves us. And so we can completely trust him. Even though in the lower story, 
That's beyond our comprehension. Listen, the outcome to your prayers might not be what you prayed for, but God has not forgotten you. He is always, I promise you, his word is true, and I promise you, he makes it clear that he's always at work in your life. Now, naturally, Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to come and to heal their brother, right? I mean, that's what probably our prayer would have been. And if we could contact Jesus, that's what we would have done. And, and when, I, when we're praying for family members that are sick, that's what we're praying for. We want you to step in. We want you to heal them. But it didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen. Lazarus died. Why didn't Jesus answer their prayer? You know, the scripture tells us in Hebrews, it says just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Again, it comes back to our fear of death. But for the believer, for the Christian, death is actually a graduation. For the believer, the Christian, it's actually a graduation into the presence of God for all eternity, not just for another limited time span, but forever to be in the presence of the Lord, free from all pain and tears, free from all earthly limitations of any type. What's hard is for those who are left behind. What's hard is for our family members that are left behind. Those who maybe refuse to follow Christ as their Savior and Lord. On the other hand, if we have family members that are Christians that are believers, then they have a hope that they'll see us again. If we die and go on to heaven, there's a hope. If I lose a friend or a family member that is a Christian, it's hard, I'm gonna grieve, but I don't grieve as if one who has no hope. I grieve knowing that one day, I don't know when in the distant future, but one day I will spend all eternity with that person. And that gives me hope. So after Lazarus dies, Jesus then decides to go. It's been a couple days. We look at John eleven seventeen. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Is that a big deal? It is a big deal. In Jewish culture, four days was very significant. They believed that after someone died, their spirit would hover over their dead body for four days. But after the fourth day, the spirit would leave permanently and there was absolutely no hope. So when Jesus shows up on the fourth day, well, I don't know how else to say it. Mary and Martha were ticked. They were angry. I mean, you know, I, I may be ad-libbing a little bit here, but as I read the text, I can feel it. And I think you can feel it as well. They are, they are mad at Jesus and they're verbal about it. It's like, you're too late. There's nothing you can do now, Jesus. Have you ever been ticked at God? You know, sometimes we don't like to admit that, but it's okay. You know, God's big enough to handle it. Jesus was big enough to handle the anger of Mary and Martha, and he's big enough to handle your frustration and your anger as well. Maybe, just maybe, he didn't answer your prayers the way you wanted him to or when you wanted him to. Jesus, I have prayed for my marriage and now the divorce went through. My marriage is officially dead. It's day four. Or you've been praying for God to help you climb the corporate ladder. But today, they downsized you. They let you go. God, come on. It's day four. It's over. You missed your window of opportunity. If Jesus would have just showed up when I asked him to, this all might not have happened. That's what Martha said. 
So as angry as you would be, that's how angry they are. Look at it in John 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think she said that peacefully. I think she was mad. I think she was angry. It's also what Mary said. Mary comes along later, says basically the same thing. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Come on, haven't you ever felt that way? There have been so many times in my life I have. God, if you'd have just done what I asked in the past, this would have never happened. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. I think Martha's extremely frustrated at this point with that answer. You know, it's like, I don't think Martha looked at Jesus when he said that. I don't think she said, oh, thank you. I think she's still ticked. And I think she's thinking to herself, seriously? Really? Really? Verse 24, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises, at the last day, she thinks Jesus is talking about a future event. She says, yeah, I know in the future things are going to be great, Jesus. I get that. I know I'll see Lazarus again, but Jesus, I'm hurting right now. I'm in pain right now. It's the way you or I might feel if we suffered a loss and someone said something to try and make us feel better. Don't we all try to do that? I mean, Guys, we want to comfort people. We want to be there for people. And so we'll, we'll say things with a, with a right heart. You know, well, you know, you're, you're going to see him again in heaven. Or, you know, I, I'm sorry you lost a child, but, you know, you can have more kids in the future. Or, you know, I, I'm sorry you lost your job, but you'll find another job. Maybe it'll be a better job than what you had. You know, I, I, I understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to make people feel better. We're trying to be kind to them. But right now, listen, right now, you're not worried about the future. You're simply looking for hope today. You're simply looking for hope right now. Well, let's see how Jesus responds to her frustration in verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Martha? You see, he's not asking if she believes he could have showed up in the past or he could do something in the future. No, he's asking, do you believe that I can do something in your life right now? Martha, do you believe that I can do something to help you today? He's trying to get her to see that real life can be found in Jesus today. Listen, guys, there's no other way to a relationship with God except through Jesus. They're just not. We've all sinned against God. The scripture makes that clear. Every one of us have failed God. The Bible says we deserve to die for the sins that are in our life. But Jesus gets up from his seat in heaven and he comes down to this earth and he lives as a man. And yet it says, in several places, it says he never sinned. He then willingly goes to the cross and he dies in our place so that we can be forgiven. And three days later, he rises from the grave to conquer death. 
And what I want you to understand, my friends, is that the resurrection is the key. Listen, it's the key to what separates Christ from all others who have claimed to be God. There are many. There are Confucius and all the other that claim to be God throughout the years. But there is one difference between Jesus and all the others that have ever said they were God. And he, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Let, let, let me simplify this. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Throughout the years, I've many times I've heard people say, you know, they keep trying to disprove the resurrection. But I, I have firm faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if someday they prove that he didn't really rise from the grave, it's not going to affect my faith. I'm still going to believe in him. I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't. Because Christianity is all based on the resurrection. No resurrection, no Christianity. We have to understand that, guys, the resurrection is the single greatest miracle the world will ever know. It demonstrates Christ's finished work of redemption, and it reminds us that his power over death makes a way for us to spend all eternity with him in heaven. But let me go back to our story with Martha. Jesus is telling her that even though the outer shell dies, the person who believes in Christ will never die. He says, so Martha, do you believe this? Martha, is your hope in me? Do you trust me with those things you can't see with your eyes that are going on in the upper story, Martha? Do you trust me? Do you believe me? You see, the Bible gives us a definition of what faith is, and that's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is. It's defining it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's talking about the upper story. Confidence and assurance about what we don't see, what's going on in the spirit realm. Faith is certain of what God is doing in the upper story. Jesus sees Mary and the mourners weeping and he sees the tomb and it says what? You know it, he wept. Jesus wept. Now, I find that fascinating because you, you do realize that the Bible did not have, it was not divided into chapters or verses until uh, hundreds of years ago, several hundred years ago, way after the Bible was written. They're just letters that are written. And then they took them and they divided them up into chapters and then they divided them up into verses. And it's interesting to me that they come to this one and they made a verse out of two words. Jesus wept. Why did they do that? Because everybody saw the significance of those two words and they knew it needed to be singled out. And I, I, I read that and I think, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why in the world would Jesus cry? 
He knows that he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. Nobody else knows that, but he knows that. Because I think, my friends, listen to me, I think you're seeing the heart of our God for those that are hurting and feeling hopeless. I think we have a heavenly father who hurts when he sees us hurt. Well, Jesus then stands in front of the tomb. Friends, listen, every tomb begs the question, where are your eyes fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus and eternal things? Or are your eyes fixed on the things of this world? Oftentimes, explain it like this. It's like, uh, I can be focused on Jesus, but then all of a sudden the cares of this world come around and these four fingers get in my face and what happens? Immediately my focus leaves Jesus and I start focusing on my four fingers. That's what happens oftentimes in life is that we're focused on Jesus, but the cares of this world get in the way and our focus changes. We have to be determined. We have to be determined that we're always going to focus on him no matter what. Because I'm telling you, the things of this world are wasting away. Well, Jesus stands at the tomb in verse 39, and it says, he says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. You see, they didn't embalm back then, and it was a warm climate, so bodies would decay very quickly. So again, the text is just making this very clear to all of us. It wants us to make sure, the writer wants us to know that Lazarus is dead, okay? Verse 40, he goes on, and Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. At this point, I'm telling you, you know, you know, in those days, they hired professional mourners and they would weep loudly and they would beat themselves and they would make a big scene. I'll promise you at this point, it all stopped. It all got very, very quiet, silenced in anticipation of what maybe could happen. Verse 41. Well, I'll just go back to that. So then Jesus looked up to heaven. This is the part I want you to see here. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I think many times we just want to read over that, but I don't want you to read over. Father, thank you for hearing me. Why is that significant? I think it's important. This is my opinion. Do you remember those two days when it didn't feel like Jesus did anything? When he hears about Lazarus and he does nothing. And you think, come on, what are you doing? I believe it was during those two days that Jesus was praying for Lazarus. You see, Jesus' first response was always prayer. Always to get the mind of the Lord before he ever did anything. Prayer also kept his focus on what God was doing. Prayer always kept his focus on the upper story, the visible realm. Verse 43, it says, Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, it's like, it's not like he walks out of the tomb. I mean, he's hopping out of the tomb. He's all bound up. They had wrapped him up like a, like a mummy and put all these incense and stuff on him. And so he comes out hopping out. You can imagine what a scene this had to be. After four days, a dead man comes back from the grave. This is such a cool story. And yet at the same time, guys, I hope you know this is not the ultimate resurrection story. 
At this point in time, death had not yet been defeated. Jesus had not risen from the grave. In fact, we know that Lazarus, hey, Lazarus would one day die again. Bummer. Friends, the ultimate resurrection happens a little while later when Jesus comes out of the tomb on that third day. You see, guys, what I think you know, but I just want to say it again, is that the Easter story is not just a one-day event. You know, we celebrate on Easter Sunday, but the Easter story is a three-day story. Day one is Friday. That was the day they tried him. That was the day they judged him. That was the day they whipped him and beat him and mocked him. That was the day they spit in his face and pulled out his beard. That was the day they hung him on a wooden cross to die and laid him at a tomb to rot away. That was day one. Day two is completely different. It was a day of silence. Nothing happened. And because nothing happened, they all quickly began to lose hope because they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah. They thought Jesus was going to be the next king. And now he's dead. Now he's gone. But then there's day three. And on day three, he rose from the grave and he conquered death. Sunday is by far the most It's the most death-defying, grave-defeating, hope-inspiring event in the history of mankind. So I hope this helps you to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he said, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. He says, do you believe this? So you see, my friends, Jesus is our true north. You and I, we were created by God to be in relationship with him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So it doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how generous you are or even how religious you are. If you're headed in any other direction than true north, you're gonna be so greatly disappointed. You know, oftentimes when I talk to people and they They don't understand the Bible. They'll say, Steve, I try to read the Bible and I just, it doesn't make complete sense to me. And I said, you know, it's really not as difficult as we make it out to be. There is a thread that runs through scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And that thread is relationship. The whole Bible is about relationship, about our relationship with Jesus and about our relationship with one another. That's why when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's important. And that's what the entire word of God is about. We start out in Genesis and and God creates the earth and all that's in it. And he creates man and he puts him in the garden. He then sees he's lonely. He gives him, uh, takes a rib and gives him woman. And then he puts the two of them in the garden. And he says, this is all yours. I want you to enjoy it all. Be blessed and happy. Be in relationship with me and one another. I want you to enjoy it. Oh, by the way, there's a tree over here. I don't want you to eat of the tree. And what do they do? We don't even get to the third chapter of Genesis and they eat of the tree. And so sin comes into the world. And all of a sudden, this perfect relationship that God designed for us to have is separated. And now there's a chasm. There's a gulf between us. And so then we go through the rest of the Bible and we see constantly mankind trying to build a bridge back to God. And so they'll, maybe if I give enough money, that'll work, but it didn't work. Maybe if I attend church enough, that'll work. It didn't work. Maybe if I'm a good enough person, that'll get me back to God, but it didn't work. 
Jesus said, again, I've, I've read it to you, but he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So what happens? Jesus gets up from his seat in heaven. He comes to this earth as that baby in a manger. That's the Christmas story, right? And then the Bible says he lives without sin. Several times it tells us that. It's a big deal because someone had to pay for our sin, but it had to be a sinless sacrifice. And Jesus goes to the cross and he dies, not for his sins, he never sinned. He goes to the cross and he dies for you and for me, for the sins that we've committed. And then he rose three days later from the grave. But because of that victory over sin and death, he steps into that chasm. He steps into that gulf to build a bridge, to take the hand of God and to take your hand and my hand and to bring us back together again but it's a free gift. Scripture says, but as many as received him to them, he gives the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those that believe on his name. It's a free gift from God. He's saying, I'll t just take my hand. I wanna give you salvation. I wanna give you forgiveness. Again, we saw it a few minutes ago. All of us have sinned. We've all messed up. And the wages of sin, Romans says, the wages of sin is death. You and I, we deserve to die but Jesus paid the price so that we could be forgiven and declared not guilty. Jesus died to be our true north. And if you've never accepted him, I wanna give you that opportunity today. I'm gonna to ask if you would, just everyone bow your head with me, with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a minute. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life, I want to give you that opportunity today. If, you, if Jesus is not your true north, I want to give you that opportunity today. What I'm going to ask you to do, no one's looking around. It's just between you and me and God. But how many of you would just raise a hand and say, Steve, I'm just not sure and I want to be sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I want to be sure that Jesus is my true north. Would you pray for me? And I want you just to raise your hand right where it's at. No one's looking around. Yes. Anyone else? You're not sure. Make sure I see you because it's dark. Yes. Once I point to you, you can put it down. Yes. Who else? You're not absolutely sure, but you want to be sure today. Anyone else? Yes. Right in the front. Anyone else? Then with every head bowed and every eye closed, there were three of you that raised your hands and I'm gonna just ask those three people to look at me. I don't wanna do anything in the world to embarrass you. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. And if you meant business with God, I'm gonna ask you just to repeat it to yourself silently. And as you do, I promise you, not only will he forgive you, but he'll come into your life as Savior and Lord. So as I pray out loud, just repeat it silently. Dear Jesus, I know I failed you. I know I've sinned against you. I ask you, God, to forgive me for all the sin and to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And now, Lord, I commit the rest of my life to loving you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677.
Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe, visit our website at vail.church, and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.